0: Okay, and welcome to the very first episode of the new wave of healthcare from the Foundation for Healthcare Quality, right here in the real foggy bottom, Washington State. The tides of American healthcare are shifting rapidly, and while that means healthcare is in the news a lot more than it used to be, it doesn't mean the public necessarily understands what is going on. Even those of us in the healthcare world have a hard time keeping up. And amid all of this uncertainty emerges this, the new wave of healthcare, a podcast designed to help you wade through the complexities of our healthcare system, how it got this way, where it's going, and most importantly, how it affects you and your loved ones. We'll provide School of Rock style explainers to help you grasp the complex topics, introduce you to some of healthcare's most interesting players, offer a platform for patient stories, and throw you a lifesaver when things get choppy out there. This is your host, Emily Wittenhagen, and joining me today, I have Peter Dunbar, the illustrious, the elusively hard to pin down, CEO of our foundation, here to talk about the number one burning question that whenever I ask the public what confuses them most about healthcare, it's always, why on earth is it so expensive? So we'll get to that, but first, Peter, now that I finally have you here, for listeners who haven't met you, You sort of have the knowledge benefit of having familiarity with two, if not more, healthcare systems. The one we have here in the US, and the one in the UK where you grew up in Scotland, until you came over here at the age of, what was it, 26. So why don't you introduce yourself and tell us a little bit about that.
1: Hi, I'm Peter Dunbar. Um, I, as I said, came over here in 1912. When I was 26 and did a residency in anesthesiology, Private practice of anesthesiology for eight years and then went to the University of Washington uh, where I practiced for following 26 years after that and have just recently, well it's fairly recently, two years ago, joined the Foundation for Healthcare Quality and throughout my career I've taken an interest in uh, organized medicine and the structure of the medical care system uh, here in the United States and having a background in the UK has helped me to have a, an alternate view of that uh, system.
0: So is there is there just one healthcare system in the UK or is it split up by the countries?
1: Uh, the, the health system in the UK is divided up. Uh, Scotland has its own national health service. England has its own national health service. But really from the point of view of the end user, it feels the same. And, and the, the way that the system works is that each geographic area Um, has a commissioning body which contracts with primary care providers and then with hospitals. And in order to get to a hospital and see a specialist, you need to go through a primary care provider, so there's a gatekeeper system that operates there. This uh, is certainly a a very good cost-controlling measure because it means that you don't have you don't have an incentive to do, to do more work than is needed to be done.
0: Did you ever work in that system or did you start your medical career over here?
1: Uh, yeah, I worked, uh, I worked my first uh, 18 months of practice in that system. Uh, but also, uh, my son actually works in that system and is now a leader in the Public Health England. Uh, so I am quite familiar with it, uh, both as a consumer, my, my, my other son, who also lives in England, actually was injured in a car accident, and uh, he got all his care taken care of, and so I'm familiar with the effectiveness of the system.
0: Okay, can, in, in a, in a brief way, is there, is there a way to explain how the UK system or s- systems are different from the US? It's uh,
1: difficult to sum it, but it, but to summarize it very briefly. The national health system is, as it sounds, is a unified system. It's basically all works the same way. Within the system, there's all sorts of bidding and contracting and work that's done to decide where patients go and who, how many people are hired for this job and that. But it is, above all, a centralized, unified system. Whereas in the United States, it's more a do-it-yourself system where even Large organizations like the University of Washington um, are, in essence, isolated, um, standalone businesses uh, that are operating. So that in, in the U.S. system, anybody can set up their shingle and start a medical practice or a physical therapy practice or whatever um, and start looking for business, start looking for patients to take care of. Within the British system, if you're not getting patients referred to you from the National Health Service, you basically don't have a practice. Well, that's not entirely true. There's a very, very small private practice community in the UK, but it doesn't account for much more than 5% of the business. The 95% is done by the state. Over here, it's the opposite. The vast majority of the business is done by independent organizations. Some are very large, like university teaching hospital systems or Kaiser Medical System in California, and others are much smaller, like maybe your own primary care doctor who works in a practice with three or four doctors.
0: Is Essentially, is that the way that it's organized? Does that contribute to why, um, for instance, your son didn't have to pay after that injury as much as in this country I'm sure would be thousands upon thousands of dollars, or...
1: Yeah, I mean, even if you get injured in a car accident here, it would really depend on your insurance. If you have really good insurance, you may only pay a small amount from a deductible. Um, In the case of the UK, they have no mechanism for billing him. So when his car turns over and he's injured, then an ambulance comes and takes you to the hospital. The hospital takes care of you, and then you get sent home. And you don't have a choice as to which hospital you go to, and you don't have much choice as to when you're going to be sent home but it worked for him in that instance. Uh, the, the, uh, over here, uh, you would have the same thing. You would wreck your car. An ambulance would come and pick you up. It would take you to the hospital, and then you'd get taken care of post, post-surgically. Well, but in this system, the ambulance is gonna send you a bill for picking you up on the roadside. The ER is gonna send you a bill for coming into the ER the orthopedic surgeon is going to send you a bill for being the the orthopedic surgeon. Any blood test you have, you'll receive a bill for them separately. <laughs> and so you receive this mass of bills, which um, are generally processed by your health plan. And what's left over, you end up, this covered by insurance, you end up paying for yourself, assuming that you have insurance.
0: Right. I, I was just talking to one of our colleagues about that, almost that exact thing about how after you have a visit to a hospital for instance, it's most often that you're going to get at least a few separate bills, one from the facility and one from the doctor themselves, and um, it goes on and on. So in, in the UK, is it is that centralized also in that they bill you with just one consolidated bill? Yeah, well they just don't send you
1: a bill because you're you're covered by the National Health Service, but if they could send you a bill, it would be one consolidated bill. That is correct. If you were to get a private practitioner in the UK to do a surgery, and you can do that um, for, for instance, like a hip replacement, you might want to get it done in a private th- private clinic, um, you would get coverage that way. In the US, there's a lot of incentive uh, to, to be creative and to uh, provide services that people want. The benefit of this is that you can get a lot more. It's a lot more comfortable, as my son put it. You'll find that if you if, if you if you want to get treated in National Health Service hospital, you will wait in line behind everybody else um, until it's your turn, and you will get the care that you will get. In America, you can if you're not happy with the care you're getting in Swedish hospital, you can just go across the street to Harborview or over up to Montlake to the University Hospital, or you can go to Overlake or Evergreen. You can go anywhere you want and choose what kind of care you're going to get. You do not have that choice in a national system.
0: In your opinion, are we getting our money's worth here in the U.S. by the vastly larger amounts that we're paying here? Uh, by no
1: measure are we getting our money's worth in the U.S. Uh, for instance, in the U.K. It's almost an unfair comparison because they spent 8% of gross domestic product on healthcare there and we spent 18% here, which is more than twice as much. We may be getting maybe we're maybe we're we're getting the the, the quality of care that we deserve at at 15% or 14% of GDP, but not at the eighteen percent that we're paying. So I think it's safe to say that in pretty much every measure Americans are paying more for healthcare. Than, than, than the quality they're getting.
0: Right, like earlier we were talking about the analogy of, um, you know, choosing between, say, a Bentley and a Chevy, and so um, can you kind of talk about that analogy that we were yes, discussing sir. earlier? Yeah,
1: that's great. Um, I, I was talking about the, the metaphor, you know, using, using it as, a, as an analogy, the kind of car, you know, if you're, if you're just wanting transportation, you don't need a Bentley to take you there. You can get there perfectly well in, in, in a Ford or, or a Chevy. Um, a Bentley costs four hundred thousand dollars. A Chevy might cost forty thousand dollars. new Bolt is about forty thousand dollars. It's going to take you safely from A to B. I mean, do you really need to pay ten times as much? Maybe you like to pay twice as much. Pay eighty thousand dollars and get yourself a Mercedes S-Class.
0: Or you just bike there. <laughs> or you can just bike
1: there. But the bottom line is we're paying for a Bentley in, in, in America. And whilst we may be getting Mercedes-type service, we're certainly not getting the value for money considering the amount that we're spending.
0: Right. Okay, we're going to take a quick break, and when we come back, we'll really get down to the brass tacks. we're back. Um, now, Peter, right now we're looking at this image that you gave me a few months ago. Um, this is available in the show notes for listeners. Um, and it's essentially is illustrating the structure of the healthcare system in the U.S., uh, trying to simplify it something that is very complex. Um, so wi- by using this, we sort of have talked about the structure and it being a way to visualize how it trickles down to the consumer and helps to explain why we're at the point where we're paying as much as we do. So without going into too much detail, let's try to tackle the main question of this episode in as easy a nutshell as we can for the listeners, and that is, why is healthcare so expensive in this country? Go? Um,
1: I think the, the reason healthcare is so expensive in co- this country is complicated. But I think that at its heart, the issue is that nobody quite knows what they're paying for. And that when you've got a product which people so desperately want, healthcare, um, with a pricing which is so obscure, even those who are actually delivering it don't understand it. You've got to set up for problems. But let's step way back from the actual going to your doctor and discovering that a medication costs a lot of money question. And let's look at the bigger picture. I've got this drawing, which is sort of in my mind as well now, as all the people are kind of like up in the sky, they're clouds. And each individual person has like no control over the process. But as you drop down a layer, the next layer, this is at the highest layer of, 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 of breakdown. Some people work for the government or are uh, getting their care through the government, such as Medicare, Medicaid, or state employees. Other people work for private entities, like Boeing Corporation or Amazon or Microsoft or Starbucks. So they go work for employers, and some other people get their health care independently. And so at the very top, we've got the employers and the government, and then the other people. The Layers down from that, the like people who work for the employers, the employers hire insurance companies or health plans to spread the risk and to basically manage the paying of the health care. And so does the government. They also buy their health care through the insurances, insurance companies. Even Medicare does that through through the, through the various Medicare intermediaries. And then at the very bottom of this system, we have uh, all the actual deliverers of health care, everything from the primary care offices to specialty care offices to the urgent care centers to the physical therapy clinic to the nurse skilled nursing facilities, hospice. Um, to the acute care hospital. And there's even care given in the patient's home. So we have this graph, this graphic where at the, at the top you've got all the individual people. All the individual people are aggregated into working for employers or being a ward of the government. And if you're an employer, the chances are, or the government, the chances are you're buying your health care through an insurance company. Because if you're the Boeing Corporation, you don't want to become an expert on buying bandages. You want to hire an insurance company to make sure the right bandages are bought at the right time for the right people.
0: Right, but sometimes those bandages cost the consumer $600, like we've been talking about.
1: That is very true, Emily. Sometimes those bandages cost $600, and that is where the problem lies, is that nobody is seeing the cost of these products. In this model that I'm looking at, the only people who've got the real ability things are the people one layer above you so for instance if you're the employer or the government the only people who can control you are your employees they can choose not to work for you or the government you can choose to vote the people out of office but one layer down the insurance companies are really only responsive to the employers or to the government they don't really responsive to individuals you have no control over that you go down one layer further down and the healthcare facilities have no control over what the insurance companies do. So we have a system where a great deal of energy and effort is put in a big fight between the care deliverers and the insurance companies, and another layer of fighting is going on, or negotiating is going on between the insurance companies and the employers, and another layer is between the insurance companies and the government. And the problem we have here is that right at the bottom level of care, everybody is trying to maximize their profits or trying to minimize their losses in many cases and result is that there's just complete opacity the individual patient doesn't really have any control over their health care expenditures
0: right so that helps to explain why when you look at this or when you sort of conceptualize it how uh, there are so many places for not only silos but places for um, co- competition for conflict that can find its way into this um, system between the, s- the systems that all connect it, and so it's hard to visualize or to see why how this all breaks down until you know when you showed me this image and we've been talking about it. It really helps to, or to break it down, but it doesn't necessarily show us how we might, how that problem might be solved yeah. in our, say, in our lifetime. And I was curious, um, was there something you were gonna say?
1: Yeah, I think I think the, I think you've you've hit a nail on the head. It's important is that, that people are only seeing the layer they're interacting with. So in many states there's a lot of angst between the physicians and hospitals and the health plans because they're the only group they're seeing they're not really seeing that above the health plans you've got the employers and you've got the government and they're they're missing the point that and the, the, the health plans are stuck in between the government and, the, and and the providers and are trying to make things make things work and I'm, I'm, I mean I'm, I attribute the best motives to everybody, which may be naive, but the result is that there's an availability of money from the insurance companies, and they're going to sell, and everybody on the ground level is going to sell their product. I mean, I would give an example on Mercer Island, where I live, there's three or four, at least three, physical therapy uh, outfits that are selling physical therapy services that are this is great because you have choice, but it may not be the best and most efficient way to operate a system of healthcare. So, I think one of the things that's happening is when you look at the value for money, you've just got to look at two things one, what are you getting? And two, what are you paying for it? And one of the interesting questions in the American healthcare system is perhaps you're getting too much care. Uh, perhaps there's you're getting too many x-rays or too many medications. Certainly people talk about those things. And that's what I'm excited about at the foundation because we're actually interested in measuring quality because value is the quantity of goods times the quality of the good. If the goods are not quality, if the care is not of good quality, what is the point of it? So it's very important when you're looking at quality measurement, the value, to think of it in terms of value is really the care you give, what you do, times the quality of that care, divided by the cost. And that's the the formula that we use. And what we're doing at the foundation is here, we are measuring quality. The cost is well established, that's in your hospital bill. The quantity is well established, that's in your hospital bill. But the quality, that's much harder to measure and involves looking at the care that was given in hospital or not in hospital. And that's the kind of work that we're doing here at the foundation. We don't just assess data and measure it, but use it to turn this knowledge of how much quality or lack of quality there is or variation in quality so that all the quality rises everywhere through teaching of providers. And the detailed information we have about quality care enables physicians and hospitals to improve the quality of the care that they're delivering. Finally, the quality of care is important. But the other highly important item is that the care is appropriate. There's no point in having quality care if you don't need that care. And that's another area an emerging area where we're really going to have to start looking at how our American healthcare system is working.
0: Right, so in that way we're talking about that sort of somewhat new concept of appropriate use, that people are, um, it's a great thing that people are talking a lot more about that now. And I wonder, um, is that one way, and I wonder if there's any other ways that you see, as we look at this structure that we have, you know, for better or for worse, um, and we have our place in it where we're trying to improve things. Um, how can we sort of unpack this system and make some changes that can make it more affordable downstream at the consumer level? To you, is that the appropriate use argument? Is there, are there other topics that could also be contributing to this to sort of equal affordability down the line? Well, I think it,
1: it, it's, it's a complicated issue and, and there's many items. Um, I saw some really great data out of Michigan uh, which showed that the quality measured by the Michigan Surgical Quality Collaborative, which is very similar to the foundation, um, the Michigan Surgical Quality Collaborative showed that the hospitals at the highest quality had the lower costs. And so they see as they improve quality, they reduce costs, which makes sense. Deming showed that famously. That if you do the job right the first time, you have to do less redos and you have to have fewer rejects. Um, that was an industry, but in healthcare, Michigan has shown that that's also the case. Um, so there's a simple quality improvement. And then, yes, it's certainly if, if people are getting surgeries they don't need, then clearly it's increasing cost. If people are getting x rays or MRIs they don't need, then it's clearly increasing cost but we're not gonna solve the problem either by just looking at appropriateness or just looking at quality. We've gotta look at all aspects of of the healthcare system Um, and not just the sickness care system that exists for hospitals and primary care providers, but look at the social circumstances that people live in and the other much more complex parts of our society which are driving illness.
0: It, does that mean looking at social determinants of health and the way those factor in? Uh, precisely. Precisely,
1: yeah. yeah. We have not talked about social determinants of health, but social determinants of health are are far more influential on the cost of healthcare uh, than what we're doing in
0: hospitals. Right, and that's of course a, a topic for another day. Yes, um. definitely a topic <laughs> for another day. Not yeah. today. Um, and so, it, it, to you, is there any hope that anything can be done significantly in this generation, in our lifetimes?
1: Oh, yeah. I think there's no question there will be. I think we've reached some kind of peak expense on healthcare at this point. We may continue to spend more money on health care, but I've got to believe that the, the system is becoming extremely intolerant of waste.
0: Do you see... Um, when you think about sort of bringing it back to how we were talking about uh, like the system that exists in the UK and how it's so centralized and in a lot of ways if you were to look at a graph or an image like this for the UK system, I would imagine it it would be a little bit simpler. Is that the right thought or is, it, is healthcare complicated wherever you go?
1: Healthcare is complicated wherever you go and largely because of the the area we just talked about social determinants yeah. I mean there are there's universal health care in the UK but that does not mean there's universal health of course there are pockets of extreme deprivation um, which are driven by largely by social determinants for whatever reason um, but in uh, the, the, the thing is to remember is that the British National Health Service was formed in 1948 which is like 60 years ago. Uh, it's, it's, it's almost 70 years ago. Um, we can't imagine that we're going to suddenly create what they had through 70 years ago. Whatever is going to work in this country is going to be different from what's going to work there. And furthermore, it's my belief, whatever's going to work in America is not going to work in every state. Uh, the founders of this country, Believe we were 13 different states, meaning countries, uh, and what will work. And, I, and I've I've served on national committees, and I cannot imagine that what would work for Washington State would work for New York State, or what would work for Texas would work for California. I mean, Texas and California are similar in many ways. They're about the same population. They have a large Hispanic population, both of them. They both have a border with Mexico but their politics is so completely different it's unimaginable that they would be able to make systems that would match. So I think it's going to be very much a question of states are going to have to solve the problem and I'm actually fairly optimistic that in this state we can solve our problems ahead of many others.
0: Amen to that. Um, So are you for sort of giving states more power over these types of decisions?
1: Well, as long as Washington State gets to have the power over our own decisions, I'm quite happy. What right. happens in the other states is their problem.
0: That's I mean that is one way of looking at it for sure. Because um, I mean you could you could argue the other side as well, where it should you know we are a giant country, and it's interesting the way you talk about it as kind of that we are several different countries, you know, United yeah. States of, of these very very vastly different populations with different needs um, and so it's that's a really interesting topic and I think something that would be really interesting yeah. to explore in another episode as well um, so to sort of wrap it up you've already touched on what the foundation's doing which I really like and uh, you know it sort of makes us feel like okay well, you know as messy and complicated as it is there are those who are working to improve the quality and Um, and hopefully to make some changes and um, I wonder how do we think about this as a state and is there power in decentralizing it in a sense where uh, it makes it more on a state level the way decisions are made do you think it's sort of like is the country itself just too big to simplify in order to make things less expensive?
1: It's a great question. I think that healthcare is fundamentally local. Um, this is brought home to me personally. I have a sore back right now. And I went to my primary care provider, and he was able to direct me to a physical therapy place and a pharmacy to get some medication and some physical therapy. But they were all right there in my neighborhood. I mean, what happens in New York City doesn't affect my sore back. It used to be, for instance, health care insurance used to be a local thing. It wasn't a national thing or even a statewide thing. It were local health insurance companies owned many times by doctors or hospitals in order to facilitate people with their payments.
0: Right. I mean it kind of it um in some ways it started like the example of the Grand Coulee Dam. They just yes. kind of started their own System because they needed own, it.
1: And, and, and Kaiser's health plan, which he set up for his employees.
0: Yeah, and that was for a like similar project. Yeah.
1: Exactly, or Group Health in, in, the, in the Puget Sound region, which was set up, that's all local set up. But not now. I mean, when we have the CEO of a, of a giant health plan getting $1.5 billion paycheck, you know, that's a business it's really got very little to do with care. And that's why I, I like to think of the word, merged word, healthcare, as being the sign that healthcare became a business when that term became acceptable.
0: Right, and it's it's not that at this point you can't, to me, extract healing or medicine out of the healthcare experience. It's all, it, none of it is mutually exclusive. Um, and yeah. I just wonder if you see that f- the fact that we now Gotten to the point where we treat it as a business. If that then now that that's come into play, is that the problem?
1: I don't know if it's it is certainly a problem, I don't know if it's the problem, but it certainly has introduced very large players into the system and is corrupting the uh the service that ends up being provided. It's it's I think this is getting down this road start, I end up talking about physician burnout. And I think one of the reasons that physicians are getting burned out is because they don't want to work for a business. They'd much rather be a scientific or arty activity. And that's why it's difficult for providers. Uh, But the business aspect, I mean, you do need to get paid. Um, And once you're controlling the line of the finance, everything else pretty much has to follow. Uh, but I think that we are, I think there's an appreciation of, I think people understand that this is what's happening, but they are very challenged as to what to do about it.
0: Yeah, and I mean, I, I, of course there's a difference between um, being paid for your services in an appropriate way and, um, and the other side where it's, there is a lot of money to be made in certain, in certain aspects of healthcare, for instance, Prescriptions. I mean, today we're talking on the day that Amazon acquired PillPack, and of course, there's a reason for that. It's a money maker, um, and so there's there's a lot that we could say about that, and and we don't want to go too into the weeds. But it is interesting when you when you break it down that way. I love that quote that you shared because it is um, you can't ignore, and it's no secret that healthcare is a business, and um, there, we can't get away from that at this point, I don't, you know, in our lifetimes probably. <laughs> um, but, and I'm not necessarily saying that we should, but it is a good way to sort of, in a very simple way to conceptualize what we're dealing with. So yeah. thanks for sharing that. However, having
1: said that, that does not mean that I think it's a good idea that we should have just have little villages of healthcare. I think you have to reach a critical mass. I think you need a population of at least 5 million people before you can really start making rules. And so when I say a state, I, I definitely think that, that Washington State, you know, we have a, a, the government that provides health care for 2.7 million people in the state out of the 7.2 that live here. That's a lot. Um, and so it's, when I say it's, a, it, it's it centralized, I think we're definitely going to have centralization at state level. At least that's the way I believe it'll work in Washington State, where we have a history of doing this. Whether it would work this way in Idaho, I'm, it's, it's not for me to say. Uh, that may they may well want to work on a different kind of a system, but in Washington State, I think that we could, we have sufficient unity of purpose and sufficient orientation towards the the kind of uh, system that we want. That I think we can get something achieved. And you know, I guess it's maybe a little um, a little selfish of me, but. I don't want to be held back by all those states to the east and to the south of us. I want us to proceed and make a better healthcare system here and now.
0: (laughs) Well, I think that's a a great, uh, kind of an optimistic way of ending it because we do here focus on Washington State because if, you know, of course we do think about things on the national level as well and how it all connects, but um, in a lot of ways, I feel like that is biting off a little more than... The, um, a system can really chew if you're trying to just only think on the national scale when you're talking about a country as large as ours. So um, I think that really helps put it in context and I hope that you know for the listeners, this sort of helps give a sort of a bird's eye view of where we are, where we might be going, um, and how we might hopefully one day get to the point soon, Sooner the better, um, where we're not pay- paying six hundred dollars for the band aid. Do you have any sort of last thoughts?
1: We're never going to have a perfect system. Um, all we can do is hope to make it better than it is today, and to continuously improve it. I don't, you know, there's a there's a mythical belief out there that there's a perfect system, and and it's just not there. The the the. uh, we will always want to improve so I think the most important thing to do is to concentrate on what can we do to improve the system that we're working in today what can we do to improve our relationships with our patients and the service we provide our patients and what can we do to improve the services that we provide to the the organizations that we're providing them to so for the health plans how can they help to help the government workers or how can they help to ensure that the hospital provides them with, provides their patients with the care they need. Everyone just has to work a little harder and everyone just has to um, be prepared to accept a little bit of measurement uh, because being measured is no fun. It's the only guarantee of continuous improvement.
0: <laughs> so we're just not all working hard enough yet, but we will oh, get we're there. we're all working <laughs> hard. People <laughs> are working
1: hard. It's, 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 it's they, they say it, they call it working smart, you uh-huh. know, but it's, it's very difficult to, um, we always, we c- can, never, can never work hard enough to, to, to you can never complete the quality improvement journey.
0: Right. It's just an endless cycle.
1: It's an endless cycle, yeah, because the, my favorite cycle on this is, is a drawing I have on the wall of my office. It says you, you take practice, and you turn it into data. You take data, and you turn that into knowledge. You take that knowledge, and you use it to improve practice. Which you then turn into data, and yes. it just so it goes round and round,
0: a <laughs> circle of data. Circle of quality. Couldn't get more saying than that. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, there's a lot. I mean, there's there's just so many ways we could talk about this, and um, and you and I have are already have trouble going down rabbit holes. So um, I think this is a good place to stop. And I just want to thank you for taking the time to sit down with me. Um, you have so much knowledge having been in the system as long as you have and having knowledge of how it works in other places um, and I think that it really helps to inform. Um, it, it is good to be aware of how it works elsewhere. You're completely right. I think that there is no golden mythical perfect system but um, we have the system that we have and we have the duty if we're you know, working in this field to do what we can to improve it for you know, we, because like we say, we are all patients, and, and you're you're at this moment, um, you are a patient because you're you're dealing with your back as you were talking about, and and it helps to bring that home when you're when you're in that position where you're a patient and you start to, um, and you really start to see things in context. You know, when you're used to just kind of sitting in the office and thinking about these things in a high level way. So, um, lastly, I did remember that there was an anecdote you wanted to share with me um, about the premiere guy?
1: Yeah, it was uh, many years ago uh, this must have been, oh, 10 or 15 years ago I was sitting down with the, uh, the president of Primera who is, uh, this was, this was the guy had been the CEO of this organization for many years and he had just been to the doctor's office and he couldn't understand his bill, you know? That taught me everything I needed to know. <laughs>
0: <laughs> if the premier guy can't understand yeah. it, I mean, is there any... If the head of the health plan can't
1: understand the insurance, understand, understand his health care bill, how can the rest of us...
0: Oh, no, we were yeah. so close to an optimistic ending, and now I'm sort of like... Oh, no, let's get rid of this no hope This is not us. a happy ending.
1: I like my other ending.
0: <laughs> okay. We'll edit that ending yeah. back uh, in. Okay. Go.
1: One thing that I learned from a fine colleague of mine in Texas, this saying, healing is an art, medicine is a science, and healthcare is a business. And it's good to never forget